Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. And welcome everyone to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're very excited to be talking with the committee chairs from the Institute for Supply Management's uh, reports on both manufacturing and non-manufacturing. We're going to be speaking with Tim Fiore, who's the committee chair for the ISM's uh, Manufacturing Report on Business, and Anthony Nieves, who's the committee chair for the ISM's Non-Manufacturing Report on Business. We spoke with both, both of them briefly this morning. And, Lou, the, the report that they sent us is uh, exceptional. It just portends for a great year, and we're excited to be able to talk to these two individuals. Absolutely. And uh, next thing I do is talk to our sales department about all the good news. That's exactly so, right. So let's jump in. Let's, uh, let's go to it. Tim, uh, Anthony, welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. So, Anthony, you get the uh, honor and privilege of kicking it off first with non-manufacturing. Okay. Thank you, gentlemen. So, when we look at the semi-annual forecast for the uh, non-manufacturing sector, our respondents overall uh, feel that uh, this particular uh, uh, look at going forward in 2019, they're a little bit less optimistic as to what we have seen in 2018. It um, doesn't mean that it's uh, going to be a bad uh, year. It's just that we've had such strong growth, as we've seen evidenced by the monthly report for the non-manufacturing sector to date. And uh, going forward in 2019, we measure a couple of different things. Uh, when you look at the headline numbers, we're expecting, uh, or our, our respondents are expecting revenue to increase 3.7 percentage points. Capital expenditures are expected to increase 3.4 percentage points, and capacity utilization is currently at 88.4%. So when you look at the uh, picture overall, and uh, we can drill more into um, the specifics of uh, the non-manufacturing sector, uh, we see a strong, efficient sector that has continued to do less with more. Uh, notably, we see that the employment rate, unemployment rate is low. Uh, the availability of skilled workers is difficult to manage. This is a very labor-intensive sector, and that um, overall uh, things continue to um, hum along for the non-manufacturing sector. What's the, uh, oh, go ahead, Lou. Uh, Anthony, uh, I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, the, the forecast takes it through for the next uh, six months or so. How do you feel as though, uh, based on last month's report and now your forecast, what does the retail market look like uh, coming up for uh, December? Yeah, that's a great question, Lou, because even though looking at the November release, retail industry has shown growth month to month and their uh, you know all indications are that they will have a strong holiday season which is just about 
right on us here. However, when you look at the 18 industries, retail is kind of lumped down toward the bottom of those uh, having growth month to month. And we don't, you know, we don't measure it in the semi-annual as far as that's concerned, uh, as far as what the projecting, uh, they're, they're expected to show growth as well, but we, we don't really know exactly how much growth um, in relative to uh, how strong it's going to be. You know, we're measuring it to change month to month, and the projection is that, yes, they'll continue to grow, but everybody has kind of had some pullback uh, as far as their projections going into 2019. Anthony, I asked uh, Tim a question earlier uh, in an earlier call today, and I just want to run it by you, and that is on capacity utilization. And he, I learned something new every time I talk to you folks, and I learned that in the in the conference this, in the, this morning that you were really asking the question on capacity utilization as if 100% was normal. And I always thought that 100% was the top of the room filling with water, and you had just a little bit of air left when you were at 85%. Uh, when you ask that question for capacity utilization for non-manufacturing, is 100% also the norm that they're measuring against? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I think that, to your point, um, and you asked the question earlier today, um, when we look at non-manufacturing. And again, it is a different type of um, operating rate because you are dealing more with labor. And for 88, uh, you know, for the 88.4 percent that we have, and looking back to uh, not last uh, spring, but prior to that, when we had 91 percent reported, that is really operating at some very, very high efficiency rate. And to your point, I, I look at it more as the the water all the way to the top of the room at 100%. And it's almost, okay. uh, you know, if you think back, whenever there were productivity studies done in various companies, and I think back to even going back to the 80s and 90s, and the, and the consultants would come in and say, well, the average worker is only productive, you know, 40-some-odd percent of the time when you factor in any break in the action, whatever the case might be. Well, companies went through transformation, uh, huge transformation uh, with the recessionary period and re-engineering their, their processes, and we've had technology in the mix. And I think back to utilizing facsimile machines and email oh, right. was not that prevalent, and we just do things so much faster and quicker, and there's no lag time with anything and it just things hit you so fast and you have to react so fast and companies have definitely become much more efficient the output is greater so it just tells you how how strong and how efficient uh, things are and as much as we can look at ourselves and say we are not the most efficient country or whatever when you compare it to the work ethic and I don't want to single out any other countries per se, but as I've traveled the globe, it's made me appreciate uh, what we do and how we produce it so much better. Anthony, I just want to follow up on this capacity utilization question. And, you know, we've talked about the skills gap. It's almost become a a trite old hat subject. However, now in non-manufacturing, which is so labor intensive, and you look into 2019, 
this going to be a real problem for the non-manufacturing sector, just not being able to find the right people? It's It's been a problem. It will continue to be a problem. Yeah, we've had such a strong economy. I think um, the leveling off that's projected for 2019 and beyond might help stem that tide. But to your point, it's it's difficult. And as we've talked about previously on the show, uh, especially in areas of construction and overland trucking, uh, these continue to be uh, a challenge. And we've seen the supplier delivery slow and backlog increase. And uh, even with the efficiencies, it does make it very tough uh, from the logistics side of things. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if it dampens productivity at all. Uh, Tim Fiore, uh, back to you. I just want to get kind of your overview of the uh, semi-annual forecast uh, for our listeners, if you would, please. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I think we're really looking at continuing to roll right through 2018 into 2019. And I think overall the, the level of activity, at least for half one, is expected to be pretty much the same as half two in 2018. But the, uh, the, the degree of optimism compared to going into 2018 is a little bit less going into 19. And I, I guess I'm not that surprised given where we are in the cycle here. We're we're 30, 30 plus months into uh, a manufacturing uh, growth expansion, which in the last uh, 18 to 19 years is at least the, the second best, if not will end up to be the first best. So I'm not really all that surprised at this point in the, uh, in the cycle. I mean, our revenues, our manufacturing revenues, which you know, we'll start with that, are uh, expected to be 5.7% growth from 2018. And we believe that 2018 was a 5.8% growth in 2017. So those are really strong, good numbers. You know, calculated back to GDP, uh, just number for number. You know, we're we're probably, you know, somewhere saying in the four plus range. But uh, yeah, I think I think half one is going to be good. I mean, employment is projected to expand again, uh, and the expansion number of 2.4 is probably the best forecast expansion that uh, we've had in many years. Um, Price growth is expected to expand again. We, we think 2018 ended up to be 5.1%. And uh, 2019, we're saying another 3.5% growth. So that's that's a lot to, uh, to offset. And keep in mind, you know, pr- productivity improvements on the factory floor are expected to be in the range of 2% year over year. So that's a 1.5% headwind for the profitability plan. But you know, overall, uh, not that surprising. You know, the last uh, Q4, all the, the last PMIs have been very positive. Uh, we've been bouncing across the top of, of relatively high numbers, and expectation here is at least as we go into Q1 that it'll remain the same. I do want to remind our listeners that all of the reports that the Institute for Supply Management produces, instituteforsupplymanagement.org, is their website, and if you go under News and Research, you can get all of these reports. There's an enormous amount of detail behind each of these figures that we go through with Tim and Anthony monthly. And this report is, uh, oh, about 20 pages long. So I suggest you go in and uh, get a good read of it because there's a lot of data here. Um, Tim, I asked you a question earlier and I asked Anthony while we were chatting here about capacity utilization. And um, you're at 85.2% currently and is 100% normal, so they've still got some headroom, or 
are they pretty tight because they've got to figure in maintenance, repair, downtime, etc., and and uh, they need to catch up on their capital expansion plans. Yeah, well, you know, I would call this number, uh, you know, as, uh, right, at, at 100% is a theoretical best, and you know, obviously you have to have downtime to uh, maintain, clean, upgrade, revise. So, you know, we've had a number of years. Uh, let's see, the last three years have been 80, 82. Well, let's see. In 2016, we thought that 2017 would be 82, and then in December of last year, we thought uh, you know, this year would be 85, and it is. And we're saying that 85 is still going to be the number going into 2019. Uh, so, you know, I think the the level of operating efficiency has been consistent with the growth and revenue expansion, and that. Uh, you know, given the fact that on the production capacity side we're expanding on, we're planning on expanding almost 20% more, that that uh, you know that fully supports continuing the run rate here for revenues in 2019. Now, remember in 2018 the revenues kind of scaled up. The first quarter was not as strong as the second or third quarter. So, what we probably are looking at this time is you know rolling right into 2019 at the same rate as Q4, which has been strong. And then maybe in Q4 of 2019, starting to see a little bit of a slackening there. The indications are here that uh, the half two will won't will not be as strong as half one, but uh, not not seriously different. Uh, well, let me let me be the bad guy here. You know, I'm I'm the boogeyman <laughs> in the in the closet. Uh, let's talk uh, tariffs. Um, the tariffs they they claim the tariffs really didn't have a, a direct or seriously direct impact on what occurred here in 2018. I'm not sure if that's totally true, uh, but what's it going to do in 19 if, in fact, the present administration uh, increases the tariffs by the additional 15% that he's promised in spite of the 90-day uh, uh, halt to uh, more tariffs. Uh, this this question is good for either one. Well, you know, I would definitely say that tariffs had an impact on 2018. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, we, we've been we've been tracking this thing since uh, the tariff issue first really jumped up with the North American steel market. I mean, the, the solar panels and things and the and the uh, the lumber were the firing shots, but they really weren't that large enough to impact the uh, the manufacturing economy, but clearly the steel and aluminum stuff was. So, I mean, you could argue uh, not only has it led to disruptions and, and confusion in the supply chain, it's clearly led to price input price growth that uh, due to being compensated for by productivity improvements or is being passed along in the form of inflation. So, I mean, if you accept that fact, then the uh, manufacturing economy would have grown quite a bit more. I mean, if there had not been any tariffs. And I, I, and I would put a position forth that if we can go back to a North American steel market, an aluminum market, it'll be much better for the manufacturing economy, and it probably will give us more legs. Well, it'd be interesting then to see what the headwinds bring with regards to the uh, tariffs. Uh, as to whether or not there'll be any agreements met. But that's really a difficult uh, topic, being that we have uh, two headstrong uh, companies, uh, countries that are wanting to prove whatever it is they're looking to prove. 
but even with that, you feel as though that 19, 2019 is going to be good with a certain amount of backslide. Well, yeah, yeah. So let's, we've been asking the special question now since May. So uh, let's, let's get into it a little bit. Tariffs mm-hmm. caused delays and disruptions. In May, we said 57% said that, yes, it would. In December, 36% say it will. And I think what that really means is that we've got nine months of experience at this, and we're getting better at dealing with it. So that takes mm-hmm. care of that. Uh, the other one, that the one that really jumps at me is, are you pursuing new sources of supply because of U.S. tariffs? And 65% of the manufacturing community said, yes, we are. That's a really big number. Huge. So, uh and then the other one was, are you pursuing new sources of supply to respond to counter tariffs? And 48% said they are. Those are big numbers. So, and, you know, my belief here is that, and we've seen indications in the last couple of months that people are actually acting on this stuff, that once you actually act, you're not going to be so quickly to go back if things get resolved. And because you're making commitments and obligations and suppliers are investing to take your business and, there's a certain period of time that they expect to be doing your business before they can break even. And like, if you set up a new source of supply, I mean, we're not talking about six months and then you walk away. Somebody's going to invest in the, the uh, facilitization and the tooling and stuff. So you know, things are underway because of this. And I'm, I'm not going to say whether the tariffs are right or wrong. I think the manufacturing community believes that it's about time that the issues, especially with China got addressed. Uh, it's, it's all the manner in which it's being done. And, and what it's causing uh, in the manufacturing environment. But I, I, but I think the positive thing is you probably would not have been able to get this far without a positive manufacturing environment to start with. We're, we're showing our resiliency, and we're able to continue to expand and grow in spite of some pretty strong headwinds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, as you pointed out about uh, finding new suppliers, uh, Brazil has now become uh, a very strong buyer uh, or seller, I should say, of soybeans to China. And as you pointed out, uh, once that's in place, they're not necessarily going to be looking to uh, go back to their former supplier, namely the U.S. So that's uh, that's a problem for our agricultural people. Yeah, well, I know the soybean prices are coming back up. It's probably because we're selling them to Brazil. <laughs> yeah, that's entirely possible. Anthony, what, uh, what's your sense of that? I know that soybeans and pork were the first two uh, agricultural commodities that China hit. And uh, to Tim Fiore's point, once you lose that customer relationship, it's hard to win it back. Are you expecting to see or have you seen already an impact for soybean farmers and pork producers? Well, I think it definitely uh, hit those two commodities, and as I reported on the show a few months back, we had seen uh, bacon uh, pork belly prices uh, going up uh, considerably through the course of uh, the year until the tariffs hit, and everyone was utilizing it. You would see all the specials for you know the fast food chains, the QSRs, and and whatnot. Everyone was incorporating. Uh, new uh, recipes with bacon, and then the export just diminished considerably. And we saw the bacon, which was always listed up in price on the commodity section of the report, uh, move to down in price, and there was a glut in the supply on the market. Uh, And it definitely uh, affected um, the price point as well. 
Uh, Tim and Anthony, both of you, but let's go to Tim first. Uh, Tim, I know you were asked in an earlier conversation about headwinds in 2019, and uh, we've had a lot of tailwinds in 2018, save maybe tariffs. Um, what's likely to occur in 2019? Well, yeah, I think the, the biggest biggest alarm here uh, goes back to the exports and imports. And, you know, let's talk about exports first, right? So exports in the manufacturing economy are anywhere from 13 to 18% of the total, uh, not insignificant. I mean, if you cut that in half, then you're talking about a 5% or an, a 7% reduction in manufacturing output. So it's a, it's a ma- main element of... Um, of growth and support to the manufacturing economy. So, you know, alarming number here. In December of 16, uh, on the diffusion index, remember that uh, we take 100% of the positive comments and half of the same comments, and we ignore the negative comments. 66.8 is a strong number about export expansion for 2017 first half. And then last year at this time, the same community said for 2018, that was at 67 percent. So, you know, everybody's really saying with a very strong number, remember, above 50 is uh, growing and uh, below 50 is contracting. So 67, that's a really good number. Well, we asked the same question this year, and 38 percent say that uh, uh, export levels will expand. So that that's really saying that we're going to contract on the export side going into half one. That's And that's alarming, and that's not inconsistent with – you know, the trade arguments that are going on. And then on the import side, you know, a lot of our respondents have global supply chains. Uh, if you go down four or five levels deep into a bill of material, you're going to find something that's not domestic, I'm, I'm pretty positive of. And uh, in December 16, we had a 60% diffusion index. In December 17, we had a 65% diffusion index. Now, that's people feeling positive about import growth. And now we have a 29% diffusion index, which says that we're contracting our imports. So that, that both of those kind of together say, you know, we're really, the manufacturing community is setting itself up to be an isolationist. And that's not mm-hmm. a positive thing, I think, for, for the, the country or for the, you know, global trade. Uh, a very alarming, actually. And on top of that, our, our, uh, our currency is uh, we believe that it's going to even get stronger than it is now. Uh, last year at this time, 58% believed that the U.S. dollar would gain in strength against the, uh, a, a market basket of currencies. This year we're saying 67% is saying that uh, the dollar is going to get stronger. So the, the strength in the dollar continues as we become more and more isolationist. Interesting. Anthony, how about on the non-manufacturing side? Similar headwinds? Yes, but not. it won't impact... Um, this sector as much as it does on the manufacturing side. And, you know, to echo echo uh, Tim's uh, statement, sentiments, that if no one wants to have to deal with the rising costs and supply chain interruptions that go along with this trade war, however, it had to be addressed. And if it was going to be addressed, this is as good a time as any with the strength of the economy where it is. And keeping in mind that even though we're feeling the pain points, if you look at the Chinese economy, they are feeling it worse than we are. And when you look at their, and, and you have to understand that, you know, I'm not trying to get political here, but a communist country, they control the information that they release and what they report on. Their their economic reports are are filtered, unlike ours. Ours are right. you know, it was reality. It is what it is. And uh, their economy is taking a big hit. 
my feeling, not not necessarily is this coming from our respondents and from ISM, is that there has to be some kind of accord reached uh, in the future and uh, sooner rather than later. But right now there's a lot of saber rattling going on and uh, posturing and egos and whatnot is in the mix. But um, we have more wherewithal to withstand this than the Chinese economy. Uh, does at this juncture, and, and I think that um, you know, even though they're trying to divert and, and trade outside of the U.S., our market is so big and such a large component of, of their economy as far as um, their exports that uh, overall, uh, I think we're going to reach some kind of, uh, as I said, accord. Not necessarily the perfect solution, but some kind of uh, uh, answer to this. Yeah, I would uh, I would agree with that, what Tony says. And I mean, just look at who we named as the lead negotiator. I mean, that's a that was a serious statement by itself. The up upcoming discussions that they're going to have over the next uh, ninety days, presuming that that does happen, I guess the most important thing that can come out of that is that the Chinese somehow, some way, uh, saves face and uh, to be able to agree to agree and uh that's i think that's the only way this is going to come to pass that uh this is going to be resolved within the next three months or that's three a and a half months of it. that saving face is very big in that culture and unfortunately you know roll the clock back if we if it was if we didn't have the social media and the internet connectivity that we have as much as they filter it over there there's still access to it they could have reported it differently, and we might have had a swifter conclusion. But now, because it's so open, uh, it makes it more difficult, and it is about uh, that whole saving face situation that you just brought up. Sure, sure. Uh, and we do, we do have a saving face issue on actually on both sides, without no going without going political. Yeah, but we're quicker. We're quicker Some, to backtrack and retract, though, on our side. Yeah, we can. <laughs> It's a moving thing. Yes. Understood. Your mileage may vary again. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, Tim, I want to go to you first and then Anthony back to you. Uh, Tim, this report always contains some special questions, which are actually pretty pivotal. I'd like you to share some of those results in general with our listeners. Right. So, uh, you know, essentially we asked uh, three different types of questions first one was around hiring. The second one was around capital plan changes. And the third one was around tariffs and counter-tariff activities. So on the hiring side, we've been asking the same question now for a year. This is our third cycle of asking the question. And the first one is around the difficulty in hiring. And we've consistently gotten, it's consistently gotten more difficult over the, over the three cycles. But the, the difference between the last cycle and this cycle was much less than the first cycle. In, the, in other words, a year ago, 64% said that uh, they were having difficulty hiring. In May, 78% said they were having difficulty in hiring. And December, now, 78% said they're having difficulty in hiring. So kind of flattening off. It's not getting worse. It's still at a pretty high level. Uh, but for the last six or seven months, it's about the same level of intensity. Uh, we asked a question around, have you raised wages in the last six months? to attract more people. And we went from 44 to 53 to 56. 
so again, I mean, the the the, the difference between our May survey at 53 and and this one at 56 is not that great. So, but that's still 56% of our respondents are raising wages to attract uh, people to hire. Then we ask them if they're training them more, and uh, we went from 44 to 48 to 49. So clearly people are showing up to work not as skilled and ready to do the job as in the past, and companies are having to invest to uh, make sure that they're productive and they produce high-quality uh, output. Capital plan changes. Uh, we actually declined a little bit in December of last year, right around the time that those, the Tax and Jobs Act was being released. 40% said they were changing their capital plans. Uh, in May, 35% said they were changing their capital plans, and now 36% are saying. So we've been pretty much about the same. Uh, still a lot of fluidity in the capital plans. And, and But I guess, you know, if you ask the question in the, in the November, December timeframe, that's the capital planning season, too. So, uh, And then, you know, on, this, on the third question, tariffs, 52% uh, are saying that they're raising their prices as a result of tariffs. That's down from 74% in May. So I think a lot of the price activity has already occurred. And uh, and so going forward, less people are saying they're going to raise prices because of tariffs. But the number is, is uh, the number that they're raising it by is different. 5.4% increases back in May, and now we're saying 6.1. So those that are raising it are raising it more than uh, what the, those who are raising it in May said that they would raise it at. Delays and disruptions, we think they've kind of dealt with that. Only 36% say that they're having delays because of tariffs, and nine months into it, I guess it would expect that number. Uh, and like I said earlier, 65% of, uh, of our uh, respondents are saying that they're changing their sources or evaluating changing their sources as a result of U.S. tariffs, and that's a very big number. Anthony, how about on your side on non-manufacturing? When you look at it categorically, and again, we're looking at um, – what was reported last year, December versus May semi-annual, and now uh, a year later to December 18. And um, similar to what we had seen on the manufacturing side, when you look at having difficulty in hiring workers, it went from 65% to 64.4, so pretty much the same. Now, a year later, we're at 72 or I should say six months from the 64%, we're now up to 72.8%. And this correlates to everything we've been talking about with the uh, shrinking labor pool. The wages also have increased. We went from last year from 40% to this year, May, 36%, now up to 57% on wages. Training has had a little bit of a difference from uh, from the manufacturing side. On the training from last year, it was reported 56%, yes, to uh, May was 50%, and now we're dipped a little bit to uh, 48%. Capital spending plans, as much as our respondents have indicated there's been uncertainty due to geopolitical concerns, tariffs, et cetera, it's actually uh, from May to December increased from 31% now up to uh, 39% are, are increasing their capital spending plans. Uh, and as far as um, what was reported and what they're projecting from May to now was an increase from 3.4% to 4.4%. And as far as tariffs, again, it's not as 
uh, it's not impacting the, the non-manufacturing side as much as it is on the manufacturing side, uh, being less commodity-based. We're looking at what was reported in May. They thought it would be about 50% of our respondents thought it would be uh, impacting their, their operations, and it's now down to 24%. So it's pretty much cut in half. And as far as impacting deliveries, uh, because of the tariffs went from the May report of uh, 59%, we're now down to 28%. And, and yeah. as far as, uh, you know, looking at it overall, um, it's, it, we're, we're consistent on certain things, but um, it's it's had less of an impact, and it's it's been that way as we see indicative of the uh, monthly report as well. Uh, I'd like to just take a, a, a quick, deep, deeper dive into the non-manufacturing uh, sector, where you actually do have some um, aspect of manufacturing that goes on there, particularly mining, which has had a, a difficult, uh, difficult year. Um, can you give some insight into where that is and where it's going? Uh, has it uh, ultimately improved? which I thought it was, actually. Yeah, it definitely has. If you roll the clock back to about a little over a year ago, year and a half ago, mining was dragging on um, the strength of the non-manufacturing sector. It was the one or two industries that kept reporting either contraction or, or being flat uh, month to month. And then all of a sudden, it just had this big increase, and it's consistently uh, shown and reflected growth month to month. The one industry that's been volatile for non-manufacturing has not been the mining or the construction, the two areas that are sometimes perceived as being more on the manufacturing side, but really are not, uh, and, I'll, and I, I'll explain that in a minute. But the one industry that's been drawing back on non-manufacturing has been the agricultural, forestry, fishing, and hunting, and it's on the agricultural mm -hmm. side, as we know, mm -hmm. and that has a direct correlation to tariffs and whatnot. On the mining side and construction, construction, if you think about it, construction is a, probably an easier way to correlate an example of why it's not manufacturing is because even though they're building things, it's more about assembly of of the various manufactured items. It's not so much that they're producing um, or milling it directly. That's why the milling of the wood and, and the it's coming and the lumber is coming directly more on the on the manufacturing side. Whereas you're using trades and services to assemble these products. That's mm -hmm. why you don't see it in over and on the uh, from the NAICS code over on the on the manufacturing sector. I'd like to right. give it to Tim if he really wants it. I'd give him construction. <laughs> and I'd give him the mining. I don't know if NAICS would like it, but you know I'm all for it. Well, I'd like just, I'd like to get the mining and utilities. You can have that too. That, then we can Unfortunately, I can't make that decision. No, I know. Yeah, I like the mining. I'm not sure about utilities, but uh, that, that would match up then with the industrials. This sounds a little bit like the board game called War. Well, everything is fine the way it is. Oh, no, it seems as though that uh, we are being quite, uh, I'm feeling optimistic uh, from the manufacturing side. Uh, All Metals and Forge Group being a, a forging uh, entity, uh, we have seen a, 
a huge pickup in uh, our business over the last year. And it seems as though, based on backlog, it seems as though we're going to start off with a great first quarter, uh, which normally is not the best quarter of the year. So, uh, you know, we're pretty optimistic. So, Tim, as we... uh, as we wrap up here, why don't you summarize manufacturing for us for your for your forecast? So, uh, you know, growth at the level we saw in the second half of 2018 continues going into 2019, at least for the first half, which is really positive. We've expanded our production capacity by about 20% compared to what we did in 2018, so we're in a good position to support the growth. Uh, half one will probably be a little bit better than half two, but... Half two does, definitely does not fall off the cliff at this point, so things are looking pretty positive. And you know, from a headwind standpoint, we got a strong currency. We're predicting it to get stronger, and uh, the the global trade aspect, exports and imports, appears to be in a pretty serious contraction mode, and uh, that uh, that doesn't bode well for for uh, the longer term future here. And hopefully, that will reverse. Anthony, how about the non-manufacturing side? If you want to summarize that. Well, the non-manufacturing side is uh, going to continue to grow in 2019, albeit it won't be as strong of a growth that we've seen in 2018, but uh, definitely uh, nothing to complain about. We'll see uh, revenues um, grow um, 3.7% in 2019 compared to the strong 4.5% we had in 2018. Unlike uh, on the manufacturing side, we'll continue to see export-imports grow. Uh, it's not as big a uh, portion of um, the, the sector, especially on the uh, export side, more so on the import side. Uh, labor and benefit costs will increase uh, within the realm of uh, or normalcy with uh, 3.2%. Uh, we'll see some inflation, not sharply. Prices increased 2% in 2018. They're expected to go up stronger, uh, to be stronger rather, in 2019 at 3.6%. And we'll see um, capital expenditures uh, increase uh, 3.4%, not as strong as what was forecasted uh, last year going into 2018, but 2019 still, with everything that's going on, uh, we'll still see uh, some some good uh good strength overall for the non-manufacturing sector. I just uh, want to remind everybody that if your supply chain is important to you, and we assume that it is, you should be in Houston, Texas from April 7th to 10th at the ISM 2019 annual conference, where this report will be updated, but you can also network with a whole lot of people who are in the supply chain. Uh, Typically, there's about 3,000 attendees there, and If you are having any difficulty finding new sources of supply, what we have found is a very professional group who is quick to share their knowledge and some of their uh, resources. So uh, I would take a look at your calendar and think about seriously attending that conference. I want to thank Tim Fiore and Anthony Nieves, who will be at that conference, for joining us today on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you for having us on the show. Yep, pleasure to be here, guys. Thanks again. Thanks a lot. Good work. Always a pleasure to have them on, Lou. They've uh, got a pretty exciting report this time around. And again, we encourage everyone to go to Institute for Supply Management.org, all spelled out, Institute for Supply Management.org, 
under news and research, and they can get this report, which we have, and we had the uh, opportunity to go through it with them. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, the continuation of our businesses uh, going in that uh, that direction. Um, there's always uh, headwinds that can mess things up, but let's keep our fingers crossed and look forward to a, a good good holiday year. And I uh, hope retail does well and uh, everybody spend money. That's the name of the game <laughs> for this month. Spend money. Okay, right. Tim. Good to talk to you, Lou. Always a pleasure. And uh, for those of you who want to hear any of our shows, they are at mfgtalkradio.com. Also, click over to uh, Women in Manufacturing. That's at womenandmfg.com. It's our, uh, uh, another show that we're putting on, along with a couple of new ones that we have that will launch in January and February. So, again, stay tuned. And thanks for listening today to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.